you don't have it, you need it. If you do have it, you need more of it. You withhold it, but you shouldn't. You fake it. Might as well forget it. To get it, you have to give it. And you may think you don't need it now, but you do. Pretty soon, you'll be begging for it. Not that that's a requirement, because you can get it without asking for it, and you can give it without being asked. Sometimes it's the hardest thing you'll do, but when you do, it's worth it. Because we need to give it as much as we need it ourselves. After all, he gives it to us. Forgiveness, it's everything. Hey, good morning, everyone. Pastor Tim, it's good to be with you today. And wasn't that uh, worship just rich today? Just bless my heart. We have an amazing God. And God is good all the time. God is good. You know, a couple weeks ago or so, I was trying to spell a word. And I had one of those mental blocks. How do you spell this word? And I happen to remember that little ditty, I before E except after C. You remember that? How many of you remember that in school? I before E except after C, and that's one of the most commonly used mnemonics there is, I think, as I remember, in school. And it helped to spell all kinds of words, English words, uh, in the English language. It helped to spell the IE words such as friend and yield and fee for the EI words such as ceiling, receive, and deceit. But you also remember probably after they told you that rule, they started adding all kinds of exceptions to it. <laughs> and it's like, for heaven's sakes, how am I going to remember all of this? In fact, it doesn't help with neither or weird. <laughs> and before long, it became the short form of the rule. And that's because there were so many exceptions, so many added qualifiers to it, and so lately, I've heard in some parts, they've actually changed the little ditty, and it's I before E except after C, or when sounded like A is in neighbor and way. And if you eventually became a good speller, you maybe did what I did. I just chucked all of that and just submitted it to memory, or these days, let the spell checker take care of it. You hope, right? So the last couple of weeks, I have been immersing myself in a text that I've often shared a lot at uh, weddings, but in 1 Corinthians 13, it's been on my mind a lot. And as I was thinking about these words that Paul spoke and shared to the people in Corinth, I started remembering this little ditty here, this uh, this whole idea of I before E except after C. And listen to these words here that Paul shares. 
And he says, if, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. And it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, always perseveres. And he says, love never fails. You know, friends, when you love someone, you always comes before I. And as I said last week before our vote that we had in our congregation, I'm repeating it here today because you always come before I. Nothing comes before that mnemonic, not even a vote. And I know there are some within our church family that are satisfied with the vote, and I know there's others that are deeply disappointed. But friends, nothing is worth losing your faith over, even a vote. I know that hurt exists on all kinds of really levels, and it's visited our hearts. But you know, as you peer into this text here and what Paul tells us, he reminds us here about this precious love. And you know, God's love, if it was a quill, it would drain the ocean dry. It's vast and amazing and large enough to wrap his arms around every single one, regardless of what we experience and what we really see in life. Love is patient, and love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful. It's not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in the wrong, but rejoices in the truth. And it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And love never fails. And you know, I think Paul's real chant here is so compelling, even more than this I before E except after C. I mean, clearly in spelling love, I doesn't come before anything. You always come before I. And you know, most would, would probably wouldn't agree that, uh, that saying that is wonderful, but I know that doing that is really a different thing. And we need to live that way. In verse 5, this is the verse that really caught my attention as I was reflecting upon this. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs that others do. And you know how often we do that? Like, you know, I thought about the guy there years ago, and he was telling his friend, he said, you know, when, we get, when I get in an argument with my wife, she gets uh, real historical on me. And he said, don't you mean hysterical? And he said, no, historical. She brings up all the things that I've ever done wrong 
And don't we do that a lot? But that's not what Paul shares here with us. Now, there's a lot of really shoddy thinking when it comes to forgiveness. And so many people don't really understand forgiveness. It gets misconstrued and abused and watered down. And so I want to remind you today about forgiveness. There's really three parts to forgiveness. You know, first of all, I want to say to you that real forgiveness is relinquishing your right to get even. Do you know that? This is the heart of what real forgiveness is all about. You don't seek revenge. You don't try to settle the score. And look at these wonderful words that Paul shares in Romans chapter 12. He said, never avenge yourselves, but leave that to God. For he has said that he will repay those who deserve it. You say, if I give up my right to get even with someone who's hurt me, that's unfair. And you're right, it is unfair, I suppose. Forgiveness is not fair. Was it fair for Jesus to forgive you of everything you've ever done wrong and let you go scot-free? We always want justice for everybody else, and we all want forgiveness for ourselves. But when it comes to somebody else, it's not fair, but we don't want to be, you know, have God to be fair with us. We want God to be gracious to us. The Bible says, I relinquish my right to get even, and the truth is that life is not fair. Forgiveness, you might say, is not fair. It's called grace, and God has shown it to you, and you need to show it to others. But, you know, the Bible does say this, that one day God gets the last word. One day God kind of settles the score. God writes the wrongs and you forgive so there can be peace in your heart and you go on with your life and you leave it all to God. After all, who can do a better job than justice? We look and see in a glass dimly and we don't understand everything that's coming and going. We don't ever understand everything that swirls around us. And so we lay it in the feet of God. A second part of forgiveness is not only to relinquish those things, but it's to respond to unfairness with good. And here I'm reminded of the words here we find in Luke 6. Do good for those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. And notice in that text those three active words here, those verbs, do good, bless, pray for, that's part of forgiveness. You return good. How do you know when you've genuinely forgiven someone? You can pray for God to bless them. You can pray for God to bless their life. And when you know you've generally forgiven them, you also understand their hurt. You also understand their pain. You start seeing where they're coming from. When people are hurting inside, they generally take it out on other people. Do you know that? That parent, that boss, that teacher who hurt you a lot, well, they were hurting. You know, because hurt people hurt people. And they were hurting in all kinds of ways, perhaps. And when you learn to forgive, you can not only see your own hurt, but you see their hurt as well. And then you start to understand why they acted in such a way, how they lashed out in such a manner. 
and you can pray for them and you pray for God to bless them. You say, but you don't know how bad they've hurt me. You don't know how terrible this feels. No, I don't. And I want you to know I'm sorry for every single hurt in this room and in our lives. But I do know this. You're never going to get on with your life until you let it go and put it in the hands of God. So you relinquish your right. You respond to the harm with good. And remember what the Bible says, only one possible way, love keeps no record of wrong. And the third thing that you do is to repeat. I saw something here interesting a couple years ago, 2017, I think it was, the scientists were talking and they have observed this conciliatory behavior in many different kinds of animal species. Have you heard about this? And the bulk of research they had shown had been primarily on all kinds of primates um, like gorillas and chimps. And they often, after confrontations that they go through, they afterwards they embrace. They show signs of, you know, kissing up and coming back together again. And they have observed this kind of behavior also in non-primates like hyenas and goats. And in fact, they kind of concluded that the only animal that they have failed to find this kind of making up and forgiveness is the domesticated cat. <laughs> so friends, don't act like a cat, right? <laughs> I want to say to you that forgiveness is really never or rarely a one-time shot. It's rarely a one-time event. Forgiveness goes on and on and on and on in your journey as a disciple of Jesus Christ. How often do I have to do this? It's until the pain stops, until you stop feeling the hurt. And then you'll know that you've been a person of love and forgiveness. Now, this was going on, this kind of discussion with the disciples, and Peter asked Jesus, Lord, how should I, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times seven? He said, no, 70 times seven. What's going on here in this text? I mean, Peter thought he was being pretty magnanimous. I mean, that Jewish law, you knew, you know, you only had to forgive someone three times, and that was it. And you didn't have to forgive him anymore. And so Peter thought, well, I'm doing this pretty good. I'm doubling that and adding one. It ought to be, you know, a great, great thing that I'm doing. And is this right, Lord? And he says, no, it's, it's not seven times seven. It's 70 times seven. He, in other words, it's to infinity and beyond. You just keep on doing it. And you keep on forgiving. Friends, forgiveness is a two-way bridge. It's a two-way bridge. And you don't burn the bridge you're going to have to cross in order to get to heaven, right? We're to forgive others because we have been forgiven. There's an amazing truth that happens that when you hold on to a hurt in your life, the more you hold on to it, the more you focus on the offender, the more you tend to become like that. Just look at any psychology book and it'll tell you that whatever you focus on and move toward, you'll end up becoming. And so here's the point. If you don't release your hurt, you end up resembling it. 
I've heard people, I'll never be like my mother. Oh, yeah. Or my father. The more you focus on the very person who hurt you, the more you become like them. And friends, you need to be a disciple of this amazing love we've been singing about today. Of a disciple who genuinely forgives and you go forward serving God faithfully and obediently loving one another. I do want to invite our church family here to a time of prayer today. I know we all need to come together and we need to have healing and we all need to unify as we endeavor to make disciples for Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you to join me in a moment of prayer. And just whatever you're thinking or feeling today is that you would ask God's blessing upon your heart. That his peace that passes all understanding would be upon you. So Father God, today we know there is so much trial and tribulation in this world. And you told us there would be. And indeed, we know the enemy of our souls wants to torment us and tear us down. Lord Jesus, we know that you have overcome the world. And so we just pray that you would remind us of your truths. Let us reflect upon them. May they just reside in our hearts today to guide our lives. Wrap ourselves up in them when we're in pain, when we feel alone. Lord, we just thank you for your wonderful words of life. Even when we don't know what to pray, your word says the Holy Spirit will pray for us. So thank you, Lord, that no matter what we go through, what we experience in life, you'll always be there with us. We pray your blessing today upon this congregation. Upon everyone, Lord, that you would draw us together in Christian love. Bind our wounds and season our hearts with your peace. Give us strength. Remind us of the hope, the bright hope that we have for tomorrow. And bring us all together in the unity of your son, Jesus Christ. In his precious name we pray and ask today. Amen.